In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And amen. You may be seated. A lot of people contrast Jesus with Paul. One person says, well, in Jesus you have huts, in Paul, a church. Same person says, well, in Jesus, everybody's equal, while in Paul, there's already a hierarchy. Another person says, well, with Jesus, you have conduct. In Paul, you've got a creed. In Jesus, an informal experience of God. In Paul, a formalized religion. I spent, I spent 25 years in the classroom trying to persuade a generation of future pastors that in general, those contrasts are bunk. The handshake between Paul and Jesus is amazing. And the New Testament's world is one in which simple and profound go together, where there is ardor and order, creed and conduct, form and freedom, Jesus and Paul. But there is one contrast in today's New Testament passages, a contrast that's worth pondering. Jesus confronts us today with the sobriety of the choice that we must make. Choose him and live, or don't choose him and don't live. Paul cheers us on with the confidence of the choice God has made for us. First, in Matthew, Jesus confronts us with the sobriety of the choice that we must make. There is a, there's, there's a note of sadness that courses all the way through Jesus' earthly ministry. Have you noticed it? And it's not just a sadness because of the necessity of the death that he must die in sinner's place. No, there's a deeper sadness, I think. There's a grief that he has over the dullness of his contemporaries who fail to grasp who he is as fulfillment of the divine drama that is being played out in his life. Here we are in Matthew chapter 13, a chapter focused on parables of discipleship. And right in the middle of it, Jesus quotes Isaiah, seeing the same thing happening in his life that happened in the ministry of Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah With them, that is those who are listening, those who listen first to Isaiah, now listening to Jesus, Jesus. with them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, you will indeed listen, but never understand. And you will indeed look, but never perceive. Isaiah was given the ministry, the hard ministry of telling people about the, first the Assyrian captivity of the north, in the north, and then the, or the Assyrian exile, conquest and exile, and then in the south, the Babylonian captivity and exile. And there's a certain sadness to his ministry, and Jesus sees it playing out in his ministry as well. Now, now Jesus has come. He's come to end the ongoing exile of Israel and of the whole world from the Babylonian exile of sin and death that we all experience. And he knows that it's going to have a good end. 
Matthew records the Magi coming from the area of the Babylonian captivity. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, recognizing the coming of the nations to the light of the world. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, there is his statement, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. But in the unseeing eyes and unhearing ears that Jesus encounters in his ministry, he recognizes the same dullness that Isaiah had seen in preparing people for the Babylonian captivity. So Jesus sees that people are cutting themselves off from the promises of God, shutting themselves out of the kingdom of heaven and consigning themselves to the ongoing hell of separation from God and his good purposes. And it grieves him. The function of the parables in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel is to present the challenge to faith. And when you get home, read through this passage. It's page 11 in your, um, in your pew Bible. And I'm not going to reread today's passage, but think about the parables of today and the parables of the last couple of weeks. I see myself as good soil who hears and understands and bears fruit or not. I see myself as wheat or tear, as a tiny seed that grows to fullness of life or just a meaningless tiny existence, as yeast that infects the world around me with the goodness of God's kingdom or just an inert blob of nothing. As going for the treasure or ignoring it. As prizing the pearl of great price or taking a pass on it. As good fish or as bycatch, just to be thrown back in. Jesus' message in the parables is a sobering one. Choose wisely. May it be so for you and me. And then there's Romans. Here, Paul cheers us on with the confidence of the choice God has made for us. You and I can say yes to Jesus because God has already done the heavy lifting. Let me walk you through some features of today's paragraph from Romans 8. I'm not going to read it all. I'm not going to reread it. It's on page 121. We have a chance to look at it. But look at some of the features of this passage with me. And in particular, note what he does in verses 29 and 30. Here he says, For those whom God foreknew. Now, when he says God foreknew, he doesn't just mean knowing something about you. Like he knows something about everybody, but he doesn't know everybody in the same way. Like when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't mean I didn't know anything about you. He means I didn't have a relationship with you and you didn't have a relationship with me. God established a relationship with you and me. This no is like, what does Genesis say about Adam knew Eve and they had a baby? Knowing here is loving. God knew you 
before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye, before you were a kick in your mommy's womb. That's how far back his love for you goes. And then he says, everybody that he starts here with, everybody he foreknows, he predestines. He locks them in for eternity as his child. Your destiny, because of his love for you from before the beginning of time, means he, <laughs> you're going to be his child forever. And then those whom he predestined, he called, he sent the voice that you would hear in the knower inside you, the knower of your knower, so that, I would, so that you could hear the words about the story of Jesus and say, that's not just for the world, that's for me. And those whom he, those whom he called, these he justified. He wiped away the debt of their sin, said they're not guilty, not subject to shame anymore. And those he justified, he glorified. Now, he puts it in the past tense, but in the New Testament, the whole idea of glorification, being glorified, is something that happens at the end of time. After we died, waited up there for a while until Jesus comes back, and then he gives us new bodies, and they're glorified bodies. That's way in the future, but Paul does this really wonderful thing in the Greek. He puts it in the past tense. It's like the, it's the, it's the future done deal. It's so sure that you can say that it's already done. It's like, take it to the bank. And then a really cool thing that he does in the construction of this whole sentence. It's a very subtle little thing in Greek. He's, if you start here, you're going to get here. And if you get here, you're going to get here. And if you get here, you're going to get here. And you're going to get here. It's not like, remember Little House in the Prairie? where you had like a community well. And if there was a fire in town, you had to form a bucket brigade and you'd pull water up out of the well and you'd pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. And by the time, the bucket might be full when it comes out of the well, but by the time it's passed from one person to another, by the time it's time to throw it on the fire, there might be half a bucket left. No, it's not like that. Paul's saying, if you're in the bucket, at foreknowledge, you're going to be in the bucket all the way through, all the way through. Can you imagine the excitement of Paul and what the life that he envisions for you and me? God living in eternity and not bound by time loved you before there was even a you to love. He chose you to become like his son. To that end, he called you with that internal voice that you, that, that you could not say no to, whether it was through a sudden born-again wake-up call or whether a gradual growth into a sense that you could own for yourself the faith that others were raising you in. By the cross of Christ, he cleared you of the guilt of sin and took away any reason to be ashamed of who you are. And he is flat determined by the spirit within you and the grace to keep on going that he will get you all the way home, all the way to the banqueting feast that we anticipate here every week. And that's why no matter what comes your way and mine, no matter how trivial and untimely the words roll out of somebody's mouth when you're at your, low, at your lowest, looking at the most tragic of things you could possibly imagine happening to you, you can say, Lord, I know that you started this whole thing with me and you will finish this thing with me.
I love you for that. And so even this, even this I can receive knowing that you are working all things to my good. Verse 28. And so beginning at Romans 31, if you'll permit, let me walk through the things that Paul invites us to list as being the kinds of challenges that we might be facing this morning. They might be hardship. I don't know, did the deadly and persistent pandemic that we've all experienced create hardship for you? Is there anything in your life right now that's just plain hard? Does the unraveling, he talks about distress. Does the unraveling of the social fabric all around you distress you? Is there anything stressing you or are all your relationships just great? Is your job just great? Is school just great? Is retirement just great? Persecution. Do you feel the persecution of having considerations of faith banished from the public sphere? Famine or nakedness? Deprivation of goods? The specter of millions in our world displaced and experienced famine, experiencing famine and nakedness. <laughs> What about just the simple fact of a gummed up supply chain? Peril, he says, the peril of lawless violence in the streets, where he talks about the sword. We see the sword all around us being used, being misused by despots and warlords trying to force themselves upon innocent people. So many worrisome things for all of us. And each of us with our own issues as well. Paul wants us to take them all in and then weigh them against all that God has done and is doing to make us more than conquerors and to assure us that nothing will be able to separate us from his love. And so Paul creates a countervailing list. Again, I won't read it, but read these words for yourself and contemplate them. God stands for us. And nothing can prevail against him, so nothing can prevail against us. He gave his precious son, so won't he provide everything else that we might really need? God has chosen and justified his children. And at his right hand, his son stands and pleads for you and me. Could anything possibly separate us from that ongoing, active, certain love? No, nothing. Now, in the middle of this paragraph, Paul acknowledges that there's no guarantee that we will not walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is the spirit of his quote from Psalm 43, that all day long we are being taken to the slaughter. Even there, Paul says, especially there, he says, we are more than conquerors. This is one of the greatest phrases in all the Bible, kind of maybe messed up because of use too much in Sunday school or churchy. More than conquerors. It's the word that Nike gets its company name from. Nike means victory. And Paul tacks on in front of that the word that comes over into English as super or hyper. It's hooper. What he's saying is so we hyper are victorious or for us, it's like Nike is not enough for us. Our brand is hyper Nike. 
And so Paul invites us to consider the challenge, several challenges. Again, just this wonderful little list. Paul invites us to consider the challenge of death itself. We don't have to die in despair or die filled with regret, uncertain of his love. He invites us to consider life. Because on the far side of any challenge we overcome in this life, we're surely going to face more. Perhaps we'll face even more demanding challenges than life has for us right now. He talks about angels and rulers. Paul says we can reckon with powers from beyond, meaning defeated demonic powers and principalities. And look, even if pre-enlightenment people may have been preoccupied with the angelic and the demonic, that possibility doesn't warrant post-enlightenment people's dismissal of that realm. If you need convincing, read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Whatever those powers may be, they are powerless to part us from him. We can deal with what's going on, Paul says, in the present, where there may be myriads of factors we cannot control. We can deal with what is to come, where there may be myriads of contingencies we could never anticipate, much less control. There are no factors, no contingencies, no failures, no helplessness. There is nothing, Paul says, that could cause God to turn his back on us because of his son. Nothing above us in the height will threaten God's love for us. But as a society, we still can't get over this UFO thing. Okay, now they are unidentified anonymous phenomena. Nothing in the height that could threaten God's love for us. Nothing beneath us in the depth. Hell's accusing voice was silenced at the cross and resurrection. The love of God in Christ Jesus for us will not be blocked by any obstacle, threat, or anything anywhere. Paul says, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wants you and me to know today. In sum, I'm on my last page, you with me? Jesus says, don't take a pass on the pearl of great price. It's the real deal. Jesus says, I am the real deal. Choose me. And then Paul says, when you do make that choice, know that God is out in front of you. He's done the heavy lifting. Therefore, when you are so down and depressed, you can't even pray to glance back at the top of the paragraph of Romans 8. When you are so down and depressed, you can't even pray. God says God's spirit is in you. The groanings and the sighings that bubble up from within are themselves God's redemptive presence. And when you were so disappointed with what's happened to you that you were ready to say, the universe is cruel and life just sucks, Paul says, God loves you with a love that started in eternity and will carry you all the way into eternity. And when you defeat, when you feel so defeated that you're ready to just walk off the field, Paul says, in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. Your brand, I say it again, is hyper Nike. And so once again, I pray today's collect.
O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.